Well, we are right in the middle of our series on the books of Peter. And one of the overarching themes of Peter is this idea of exile. Have you, have you ever been in a situation before where you were given a task in a particular scenario and the scenario changes, but you are still expected to complete the task? Have you ever been in that kind of a, a scenario before? This is kind of what the, the people uh, who, who Peter is speaking to in, in these letters, this is kind of what they're, they're experiencing. So 1 Peter 1 wants us to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. 1 Peter 2.11, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. This idea of exile keeps coming back up. Peter is referring to those who he is speaking to as being in exile. That is, they were in a place that was not their home. They were Christians who were scattered in and amongst the different villages throughout Asia, where the majority of the people, including those in government, those who were in control and had the most influence, didn't believe the way they believed. Their value system was different. And because their faith didn't line up with what the majority believed, they endured trial and persecution. Now, it's important to not lose sight here of the big picture mission that God has given them. Several years before this, before Jesus goes back to the Father and uh, before Peter and the rest of the disciples are sent out on mission, in John 13, 35, Jesus says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is the mission. That everyone who they come in contact with would know that they are followers of Jesus by the way they act and treat other people. It's really that simple. So in other words, the influence that they had on other people was not determined by their situation but instead by their response to the situation that they were in. When they were all in, in one place in Israel, as Pete mentioned last week, it was easy to see the mission being played out. They were in a centralized area where people had to travel. The ocean on one side, the Eastern world on the other. They were strategically positioned in a place that people were constantly traveling through, allowing them to be influential. People were entering their world. People uh, were coming into their society and therefore they had the opportunity to influence people to, to share their faith and to introduce people to the God that they served. Not in the margins of society, but in the mainstream of society, in the mainstream of their culture without fear of persecution. But now that is no longer the case. Now they are no longer centralized, but they are spread out. They are scattered. But here's the thing. The mission hasn't changed. The situation has definitely changed, but the mission is still the same. They will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, oftentimes we read stories in scripture and we think, man, that was a long time ago. Uh, not much is the same today as it was then. And then that leads to, to thinking whether we want to, are willing to admit it or not, that scripture is in some ways might be irrelevant to us. So why read it, right? But nothing could be further from the truth than that. Because just like the mission was still the same for 
Peter's audience, as it was for Jesus's, the mission has not changed for us. The mission is still the same. Our situation has changed drastically, but the mission remains the same. So we have to figure out what it looks like to carry on that same mission in a different context. We're in 1 Peter 3 today. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 9 says this, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another. I should have highlighted that. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. It's human instinct to fight back, right? When something doesn't go our way, we fight to get our way. When it feels like we've been wronged, everything inside of us screams, we deserve better. We want justice. But often our version of justice is not God's version of justice. And when we fight for our version of justice, we lose sight of the big picture mission that God has given us. To accomplish the big picture mission of God, we often have to sacrifice our own best interest and be willing to live in the middle of injustice. And when we do that, Peter says that we will inherit a blessing. That means that there is something that we can be hopeful for in spite of the injustice that we are enduring. In other words, when we bless other people who don't deserve it, we too are blessed. My justice Surrendered to God's justice leads to hope-filled injustice. When I was a kid one summer, I detasseled corn. Does anyone know what that means to detassel corn? Anyone? A couple? Uh, a few less than the first service. I expected a few more, but I'll, I'll give you a really brief definition. Detasseling corn is simply this. When you have a seed corn field and you're trying to create a new hybrid of corn, so you have two different hybrids of corn in this field, you have to pull the tassels out of the top of one uh, uh, one of the hybrids of corn so that they will cross-pollinate and create a new hybrid. Um, I, I'm not a farmer, but I, I worked a little bit in that field, and so I know a little bit about it. Uh, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I don't know if they do that this much as, as today as they used to, but they used to hire teenagers like myself at the time uh, to detassel corn. And what the, we would do is we would stand on these platforms uh, driven by a tractor, and they would take us through the rows of corn, and you had to pull out the tassel of, of every single corn plant as it, as it drove through. And so I, I, one summer, I, I was paid to do this. And uh, there was a kid who did tasseled corn with me who liked to pick fights and would typically almost always lose those fights. Does anyone know anyone who fits that category or have known somebody? He wasn't very coordinated and he uh, couldn't hold his own, so to speak, but for some reason, he kept picking on people that could clean his clock. And I, I had only a couple run-ins with him in the, in, in the past, and it never really got much past words uh, up to this point. I wasn't a fighter, but I did try to defend myself. Um, I wouldn't in any way suggest that I was powerful or invincible or whatever words you want to describe you know, somebody of that time. In general, people feared me. That was not the case. Uh, there were plenty of people who could have cleaned my clock, but I'm telling you that this kid was not one of them. 
And to this day, I can't even tell you why he chose me other than I just happened to be the one that he uh, chose. When the tractor stopped, he jumped down from his platform and he came over to my platform and he started provoking me into a fight. This had, had never happened to me before, but I very clearly heard God saying to me that this is a moment that is going to change your life. And I had very few of these moments that I can point to growing up as a kid. But I have a few moments that were life-changing for me as a kid, and this was one of them. And I very clearly heard God say, when he hits you in the face, you will not hit him back. And I gotta be honest with you this morning, my first response when I heard God say that was, absolutely no way. If this kid gets near me, I'm gonna deck him. That was, that was, that was my response to God. So he jumps up on my platform, he rears back, and he hits me as hard as he can right in the face. And I can't even explain it to you other than by saying that I was physically unable to move my body. I was physically unable to pick up my fist and hit him back. Everything inside of me said, punch him back. He deserves it. I deserve justice. But I simply couldn't do it. I physically couldn't move. So what does he do? He punches me again. It was probably the most humiliating thing I ever had to experience as a kid. And truthfully, I don't know that anyone walked away going, man, he must love Jesus. <laughs> I think they all walked away going, man, what a wuss. Matter of fact, I know that's what they walked away going. But I can tell you that my life was changed that day. From that day on, God set me on a trajectory of understanding that his justice and his mission were far more valuable than my own. And he began teaching me that when I surrender to his justice, the result may not always be what feels good, but the result will always be what ultimately is good. Hope-filled injustice. Can't even begin to tell you how many experiences, opportunities that I've had since then to share the love of Christ with people by responding to something negatively or something positive. And uh, uh, opportunities that I may not have even thought about or had not been for that one moment of humility that I had to endure. I'm not suggesting that I've always taken uh, advantage of those opportunities, some I have. Some I haven't, and God is, is, is obviously still uh, working on me. But it was in that humiliating experience that God met me, and he began to shape me and shape my understanding of his justice. And he's still shaping it. But that experience was life-changing for me in a good way, no matter how bad it felt in the moment. Verse 10. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I know I missed a part of it there. So Peter is qualifying here what it means to repay evil with good. He's actually saying the very words that come out of your mouth matter. It doesn't matter who you are saying these words to. In other words, who is in the room. 
It doesn't matter that the person you are saying these words about is not in the room. When somebody does something to offend you, as Christ followers, Peter says our response should only be to bless them. And I don't know about you, but for me, those are some pretty tough words to hear. I mean, it's only human nature to want to be affirmed by other people when someone else uh, does something or says something negative about you, right? Oftentimes we call this venting, as if somehow if we use the word venting, that makes it okay for us to talk about other people. And I want you to know that I'm, I'm speaking to myself here. As I was preparing this week, this was by far the biggest piece of the sermon that I struggled with. I didn't even want to say this because I knew, I knew that this uh, was the thing that I was the most guilty of. And now hear me when I say I'm not saying that there is never an opportunity to talk through with somebody else what somebody has done to you or said to you. Um, Here's what I am saying, though. I'm saying that you need to be very careful, and this is what I believe Peter is saying as well. You need to be very careful about who you do that with, and you also need to be very careful about the words that you use when you do that. It should never be, that conversation should never be about affirmation that I was right and the other person was wrong. Peter goes on to say, seek peace and pursue it. Could you imagine hearing these words from Peter in the midst of persecution? In the midst of actually suffering for what you believe, you hear the words, seek peace and, and with those who are doing evil against you. And keep in mind, Peter is is one of them. Peter is enduring persecution as well. This letter was written during the reign of Nero, who was by far and away the most ruthless anti-Christian emperor in the history of Rome. And just a couple years after this, Peter himself dies for his faith. He is killed for his faith. Peter isn't just a person on the outside looking into the mess, trying to encourage people. He's literally right in the mess with them. He is right smack in the middle of it. That brings a whole new meaning to the word injustice, doesn't it? They endured injustice, the kinds of injustice that you and I have never had to experience before. The kinds of injustice that you and I will probably never have to experience. My justice surrendered to God's justice leads to hope-filled injustice. I believe we are in a very unique time in our country right now. I, I, for a long time, we as Christians have had the opportunity to influence people as the predominant faith culture in this country. We, we've had the stage, so to speak. In some ways, we've been in control. We've been able to influence people in the mainstream of our culture. We've been able to carry on the mission and introduce people to Jesus simply because Christianity has been the de facto faith culture belief system in our country. Brace yourselves, because that is not the case any longer. As much as we want to believe it, as much as we would love to live in that false reality, our society is not embracing Christianity the way it used to. Our situation has changed, but our mission has not. Our mission is still the same. Christianity is continually being pushed out into the, into the margins of society, so to speak. It's been deemed irrelevant in a lot of ways by a lot of people. And as Christ followers who are in mission, 
It is now up to us to decide how we respond. It is now up to us to decide what our next move is, so to speak. We can choose to battle and we can choose to fight against a progressive culture, but church, I'm telling you, that is a losing battle. And it's not just a losing battle, it's a battle that we are not called to face. Nowhere in the history of Christianity has God called his people to fight against a culture. Instead, he has always called his people to be a light in the midst of a dark culture. And there's a very, very distinct difference. Our challenge today as Christians in this country is and will continue to be, how do we find ways to influence in the margins of society? How do we find ways to be light in the darkness? And can I tell you that we're gonna have to be willing to lay down our swords? We're gonna have to be willing to repay evil with good Peter says, and endure some injustice because when you are not in control, the greatest power that you have to influence other people is by the way that you love them. And know that there is a hope and a peace that we get to experience in spite of that injustice. Peter goes on in verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. As Peter's writing this, I can't help but think that he's drawing specifically from the the teachings of of Jesus. In the book of Matthew, um, for those of you, you might be familiar with this. You may not. But for three entire chapters, we call it the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus was actually on a a, a mountainside, a hillside, when he was uh, preaching to the the people. For three entire chapters, he lays out this plan for how we should live our lives, how we should respond to other people. And he uses words like, you've heard that it is said, but I tell you. In other words, society tells you to respond this way, but I'm telling you to respond a different way. Everything inside of you says to do this, but I tell you to do that. You may think that you deserve this, but I'm telling you that you need to do this. If someone hits you in the face, Jesus says, you turn the other cheek. If someone forces you to go a mile with them, you go with them too. Don't repay evil with evil. Instead, repay evil with good. It's an interesting paradox, isn't it? Jesus is basically saying, Everything that seems right and just to you is backwards in the kingdom of God. Years ago, there was a movie about test pilots trying to to be the first pilot to to break the sound barrier. Um, And and I'll just tell you up front, this is not a, a historically accurate depiction of how it happened, but it is an interesting movie and it sort of paints a good picture of what Jesus is trying to do in these three chapters of Matthew. When one of the pilots would get near that 735 mile per hour uh, magic mark that was the sound barrier, the plane would disintegrate with the vibrations and the pressure that was was happening. They couldn't figure out why uh, that was happening. Then one pilot decided to try something new. Once he approached the, that, that sound barrier mark, that 735 mile per hour mark, instead of uh, pushing the, uh, pulling the lever back, which would send the plane higher into the air, he decided to push the lever forward, which typically would 
put the nose of the, the plane into the ground. So he decided to reverse the controls. And once he approached the sound barrier, instead of doing what was normal, he did that. He, he pushed the lever forward. And what happens is the plane takes off, goes flying through the air, no problems, and he breaks the sound barrier. Now, once again, that is not an accurate depiction of what actually happened. But for whatever reason in the movie, once they hit the sound barrier, the controls started working backwards. He's showing us that in the kingdom of God, Jesus in this passage is showing us that in the kingdom of God, the controls work backwards. Everything you think is true of how you should react and treat other people is backwards from how you actually should respond. And Peter is mimicking the same paradox of Jesus. You think this is how you should respond. It feels like this is the right response, but you shouldn't because that's not gonna help you complete my mission. I have a bigger, grander goal in mind than your justice, God says. And it's only when you surrender to that that you are able to see and understand the hope that comes along with it. My justice surrendered to God's justice leads to hope-filled injustice. Peter spent a considerable amount of time gleaning and learning from Jesus, but all throughout the Gospels, we are sort of left with this question of, is Peter really ever going to get it? I mean, it's obvious that he loves Jesus. He, he has the utmost respect for Jesus. He really, really wants to follow Jesus. Jesus has clearly chosen Peter to lead the church, but the lingering question is, can he do it? And then we really see Peter turn the corner, at least in scripture, at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And really what we get is this picture of the Spirit enabling Peter to become who God has created him to become. The Holy Spirit enables Peter to lead the church in the most persecuted time in the church's history. To be bold, to be confident, and to surrender to God's justice and to endure injustice. And because of that, people in droves are coming to faith in Christ. The mission is playing out before their very eyes, and it's simply because he is responding to the Spirit's work in his life. And church, in the same way, it is only through the spirit that we can be bold, that we can be confident, repaying evil with blessing, surrendering to the greater mission, and loving people the way Christ loved us. And when we do that, we can rest assured that there is a blessing that we get to experience. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus reminds us of this. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Peter is mimicking the message of Jesus here when he says, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but revere Christ as Lord. And when we give blessing, we receive blessing. There is a contentment and a joy that we have in the midst of injustice. 
And when we choose that route, it opens up the door for the kingdom of God to move and to grow. Peter goes on to say in verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now, once again, there's this idea of being light in the darkness. It's not fighting against the the prevailing culture. It's, It's shining a light on it. We aren't making people ashamed of their slander. It will be made known to them in due time. When we try to fight against the culture, we lose our influence. Did you hear that? When we try to fight against the prevailing culture, we have no influence as Christ followers. When we are functioning as reflectors, as Pete said last week, he said that we are reflectors, we reflect the light of Jesus. When we are functioning as reflectors, then and only then do we have the ability to communicate the truth and the love of Jesus clearly and effectively. I love how Peter assumes we need to show the love of Christ by the way that we treat them. And then if we have the opportunity, we can share our words. Our actions are always a precursor to our words. If we show people that God loves them by the way that we treat them, then we might have the opportunity to show them more in depth with our words. And when that happens, Peter says, we must do so gently and lovingly. Grace before truth, and then lovingly speak truth. Do you catch that? Grace before truth, and then lovingly speak truth. So often we get this wrong as the church, and it is more imperative today than it ever has been in the history of the church. We are so quick to try and speak truth into people's lives even before they give us permission. And not only is that wrong, it's not effective and it's not the model of Jesus. When we, are, when we are surrendered to God's justice, when we, we are loving people first, and then, uh, and then when we are given the opportunity, we can then share our words with them. We can share the reason for the hope that we have. It's not the other way around. Our justice surrendered to God's justice leads to hope-filled injustice. Part of the blessing that, <clears throat> excuse me, Part of the blessing that we receive from being obedient and loving people in hard situations is that we are oftentimes given the opportunity to share with them why we choose to accept the injustice, why we have the hope that we have even in the midst of sacrifice. And I I believe just like Peter, when we are obedient to the Holy Spirit in our lives, it opens up the floodgates for people to come to faith in droves because they see our authenticity. It's not, it's not our doing, it's the, it's the Holy Spirit, but that is our part. That is our joy, that is our influence, and that is our blessing. As we wrap up this morning, I want us to think through how this plays out in our lives today, because it obviously looks different than it looked for uh, Peter's audience uh, 
2,000 years ago. They dealt with levels of suffering that we've never had to deal with, probably never will ever have to deal with. And yet the mission is still the same. The mission is still the same for us. What does it look like for us to repay evil with good? What does it look like for us to sacrifice what we think we deserve or what we think should happen in order for God's mission to happen? Are there culture battles that you are trying to fight? Probably losing, that you need to give up. Not because you're wrong about it necessarily, but because it's not irrelevant to the mission. Do you have relationships that need to be redefined based on loving people first? Are you like me and you desperately want affirmation that you are right and the other person is wrong? Do you have priorities in your life that are getting in the way of God's greater plan? These are the kinds of things that are going to shape us as followers of Jesus. The way that we respond to these questions is going to determine how successful we are at influencing the world for Christ. Our justice surrendered to God's justice leads to hope-filled injustice. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, this is hard for us. We know that you've called us into a greater purpose in this world. We know that you have a greater plan. We know that in order for your kingdom to grow, that that requires sacrifice and humility on our part. But oftentimes it doesn't make it easier for us. So Father, this morning, would you just simply show us the areas of our lives that need to shift in order for your love and your truth to be manifest to a desperately, desperately searching world. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.